0: Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the fab foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open. Spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com helpingfriendly Helping Friendly to learn more. Hey everyone! This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode one hundred and ten. Um, I'm here with Jonathan and Matt, um, who's at MD Funk on Twitter. Um, this is part two of our Tweezer So Cold episode. Um, thanks, Matt, for for putting all this work in and for getting us back together for part two.
1: Yeah, well, and welcome back to the uh, the Den of Tweezer. Yeah, here we are. we <laughs> all assembled
0: here again. It's almost the same as last time, except um, we have a fourth member. I'm wearing one of my babies. Um, he might chime in. He's been listening to a lot of 2.0, so he's a little bit grumpy. But um, <laughs> we we had such a great reception to the first uh, first episode. Um, Matt, all the work you put into it and, and all the... You know, just the clips, and I think people appreciated how we sort of weaved in the history and, and the, the clips, and we'll do the same thing here, but definitely one of our most popular episodes, and people have been clamoring for part two, so we're excited to be to be back.
1: Yeah, the outreach was definitely uh, great to, to hear, a lot of good feedback over Twitter and um, some of the email comments that you shared with me, so um, we'll try to incorporate, I think, some of the feedback that people gave us about things that they wanted to hear as we move into the 2.0 and 3.0 eras.
0: Yeah, and there was, um, you know, we always get, well, actually, whenever we do an episode about a song or about an era or about a year, there's always the, like, oh, I can't believe you guys left out X. Um, so we hope that everyone's listened to all the tweezers, and we love most tweezers, but we're we're focusing in on the ones we think are the best Representations of the of the year and the era and the sound, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, if some based on the the comments that we got yesterday when we announced we were going to be recording today, um, I think they'll definitely be some people who are disappointed in <laughs> our choices um, so yeah no, once again I think we'll we'll focus on some clips that help to tell the story of how the band sound progressed throughout the 2.0 and 3.0 eras um, not necessarily the, the well-known ones and hopefully turn people on to some new tweezers that uh, you've never heard before or
2: maybe like me when we went through some of this stuff I found stuff that I haven't heard since around that time mm-hmm. um, a couple of them uh, in particular and you know, it gives you a reason to go back and dig into them. And I also was motivated to go look at, at a few things that I know that aren't on this list that I thought were at least important for me to kind of have for a proper perspective. So hopefully it gets people digging. Yeah. There's yeah. no way we can play everybody's favorite tweezer yeah. in, in <laughs> two course. episodes.
0: And I think it's good to like go back to the original sort of thesis of, of this that Matt came up with, which was... Um, So goes Tweezer, so goes the band, right? Not that these are our favorites or the best, but these are representative of where Fish was improvisationally at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, in fact, uh, as I warned last time, uh, as we wrapped up the last episode, things might get a little dark. We might listen to some, <laughs> we might listen to some bad clips today. Uh, we'll, we'll 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 see how that goes. But um, first, uh, just a couple of things to cover from last time. We had so much fun last time. There were a few things that I had made notes about in advance that we didn't even get to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think w- one of the things I heard over and over again from um, some people I gave feedback was um, more. Actual musical, maybe theory and, and mm-hmm. analysis, and mm-hmm. I won't proclaim to be a musicologist, mm-hmm. um, but I do. I, I am a trained musician. I played music my whole life, and so I know a, a, bit, a bit about theory. And um, wanted to throw in a couple of the, the tidbits that uh, I had noted for last time that, that we didn't cover. One was that um, f- just the one of the kind of basic foundations of the song. It's the song is an A minor, um, which I. I play uh, keys and guitar, and um, I think it's interesting when you have a key like that. Um, that when you're talking about a song that's so given to exploration and jamming, A minor happens to be a great key to jam in. Um, whether you're a on keys because it's the relative minor to C major, so you're talking all white keys, or you. Uh, if you're on the guitar, you're starting around the, the fifth fret usually. It's a very comfortable position on the neck to kind of start out with. You've got room to go up. Um, you can go down and you can kind of do some open string stuff as well. I think you, you play. You guys both play guitar as well, right? Yes, yeah. not well.
2: Yeah, And I'm more of a folk guitar strummer, okay. so I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a lead player by any means. Gotcha, so gotcha. So i that to other people with more time.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I just um, it, and it occurred to me, and I actually in my own sort of playing, I, I you will use tweezers sometimes as a um, as a great kind of you know uh, progression to, to jam over because it is it's really comfortable to to play. And I thought some of the musicians out there might be um, might like to, to hear that. The other thing that um, when we were talking about some of the early years, the thing that I forgot to mention was. Um, the vocal harmonies I don't know if you guys noticed this listening to those early clips the vocal harmonies are different yeah. And I think, and I didn't pin this down, so once again, the, um, the musicologists out there, for, forgive me if I misstate this, it sounds to me like early on they actually sang like a major chord with the harmonies, uh, particularly the high harmony kind mm-hmm. of like mirroring the, the root, whereas it evolved into being what fr- sounds to be like a flatted seventh and is a, a little bit more of kind of a jazzier, funkier sound. And one of the things that stood out to me um was the the way that that affects kind of your perception of the song because it actually early on sounded kind of almost like a jokey kind of song like hey step into the freezer you know um with this with this sort of raging jam at the end where now i think of it as more of like just like a funk thing um which is it's obviously evolved, um, and one of the ways that when I listen to to early Fish, particularly ninety to ninety two, reminds me a lot of um, some Zappa stuff, and how Trey back then, particularly, I think, used to kind of almost try to mimic Zappa with his vocals at times. Mm-hmm. If you think about a song like "Gula Papyrus," um, if you yeah. if you go back and listen to the "Picture of Nectar" version, he kind of does that that hey hey Zappa thing where mm-hmm. he's kind of playing around with his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, So that was just a couple of things that stood out to me that I I wanted to make sure we mentioned for the people that wanted to dig into a little bit more of the actual kind of um, bones of the music.
0: Yeah, the vocal thing is interesting because I think on our last episode, people heard the Eureka tweezer from 92, um, which was mentioned by Holly Bowling in the um, interview she did with Tom. And that's when they're they're going, they kept like over the, before they even get into the jam, they're going tweezer over and over again, Yeah, which is very... Like it makes it
2: sound like it's a joke, <laughs> you know, like they yeah. they just weren't taking the the lyrics very seriously. Well, I think it's you know worth noting that in in the time frame that we covered in the last uh, last part of this, they also uh, grew as vocalists. They took barbershop lessons and learned to learn to sing more effectively mm-hmm. and also to arrange vocals a little bit more effectively. And uh, it only naturally will have an impact on songs they'd already been doing.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't know if you guys have anything else to add or any general thoughts before we kind of keep going through the years and pick it up with the, the 2.0 years.
2: I, I do, and oh, I want to speak about the uh, the thesis. You know, okay. my, last episode I, I, you know, messed with the, the comparison to Dark Star or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that was a lot of fun. But uh, at this time I, I think that as we go into these... Years two o and three o, particularly in the three point um, it the thesis is in danger of breaking the the notion that as goes mm. tweezer, so goes the band. Fair, because uh, largely because of other jam vehicles.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So we'll talk more about it as we get into it. I I just wanted to put that out there and get that into your heads. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, and also now since since we last recorded,
0: you're an official Grateful Dead podcaster, so you can't go throwing around you know comparisons to... Oh, I can. You can. You can. Maybe you can even more so than before, and we can't argue because... (gasps) I printed up up a card and everything just says so. (laughs) The only other thing I would say is just, it was so fun to just go back to these clips, and um, mostly because I'm just so happy with, like, where Fish is right now, and I think the the last few clips we listened to from the past couple years are just so awesome that... I don't know. It just makes me feel so good about this journey, especially as we start with sort of 2.0.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, um, please go ahead. Well, I just yeah. going to say,
2: you know, so if you guys are out there listening and you're hearing clips of stuff that are not from your favorite years or whatever, just bear in mind, we are going to get to some... <laughs> it, it, the light comes, yeah. so yeah. to speak,
1: yeah. yeah. Yep, and and so I think with that, especially um, you know, talking about how the the last few clips that we'll cover later are, are definitely really fun to listen to, um, we'll take a, a step back and we'll look at uh, starting out with with 2.0. So when we left our band, um, they had split for a couple of years following the the shoreline shows in 2000, reconvened uh, in uh, for New Year's Eve 2002. And the first clip that we're going to listen to, it comes from summer 2003. And I don't know about you guys, but I really loved that summer 2003 tour. I thought that um, it was definitely at the time going to the shows was really fun. The band seemed to be in a great place. Mm -hmm. Um, The the story supposedly goes that there was a lot of sobriety Mm -hmm. on that tour and Trey doing yoga every day. And and I think you can definitely tell that there's... um, there's a a little bit more of a spark there than than there had been. But when I listened to, to 2.0, one of the hallmarks of that era, I was actually just remembering the other day the way that people, there was a, a lot of hot debate back in the day about the fact that they were really Blowing the composed section of songs mm-hmm. on a regular basis, but then they might get to the jam section and it's fantastic, and they'll go for twenty or thirty yep. minutes, and everybody's like, "Oh, okay, who f- who cares about the three minutes of flubs mm-hmm. at the beginning?" And it was all, all about the energy, exactly. Is it, <laughs> is it all about the energy, or <laughs> uh, I mean, I I like a, maybe a balance, yeah. sort of yeah. things, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah, and so um, so that's that was interesting to me, and there's a lot of very long jams uh, in the in the two point years. Um, I think a lot of that came from uh, Trey's time with his band in Mm -hmm. 2001 to 2003 where they were playing, God, you know, 45-minute long Mr. Completelys and he was conducting the band and not a lot of, like, fish you would imagine this kind of constant progression and changing of the sound and exploration, but more like, let's set up a groove and do that for f- 10 minutes, yep. right? And then we'll see what we can do after that. Maybe there's another 10-minute segment. I hear a lot of that in the the 2003 playing in yeah. particular. Oh, yeah. Um, if you think about something like the the Mr. Complete Oh, motor, man. One um, Which is great, but it doesn't really go anywhere. No. Right? It's just, 30 minutes of, like, just, like, just like, hitting just, you over the yeah. head. So
2: the challenge is, you know, when Trey and his sideband, you know, Tab, are doing a 45 45-minute mister completely or whatever they are you know trey as you pointed out is conducting he's calling for you to do a solo and you do a thing let's bring it down Mm -hmm. whereas with fish it's democratic Mm -hmm. and as we all know democracy gets ugly sometimes um and it certainly doesn't always you know ride the way you'd expect yeah uh and that that's fish for you yeah
1: Definitely. Yeah. So let's go ahead and listen to the first clip This is going to be from July seventeenth, two 2003 In Bonner Springs, Kansas um, So we'll go ahead and take a listen to that RJ, what do you think of that 2003 version?
0: Oh, man, it reminds me of... We, we talked about the Mr. Completely from a couple nights before, and there are elements of that here, but there's just so much um, to look to, I guess, appreciate and also, like, fear about 2003. <laughs> like, I can never get over the feeling of, like, everything kind of reminds me what's coming. Um, but but the jamming itself is really cool, and they're, they, like, kind of just melts there at the end and really, they really they seem to be like they were it seems to me like they were pretty locked in and and playing pretty well at the time
1: yeah and i i remember when um and we'll we'll talk about obviously the early 3.0 years in just a minute and one of the hallmarks of those years was people feeling that they were constantly cutting off jams or kind of ending them prematurely and i think that's because if you listen to this clip from 2003 one of the things that stood out to me is they would hit these points where in later years they would say, okay, we've kind of wound this up. We're getting into some spaciness or something. Let's get into the next song. And they would just keep going with that yeah. for four or five minutes and then get back up into another section of the jam. And that's what turned 15-minute jams into 25, 30-minute jams uh, at the right. time. I think this was a, a really great example of that.
2: And they still, even now, you know, they sometimes turn the corner mm-hmm. and keep going. And that's... That's they've admitted it. I've seen that in print in some interviews where they recognize that that's the is You know, sometimes the, the song is done for them, and yeah. you know everybody else calls it a ripcord or something mm-hmm. else. And sometimes it's uh, it's just a matter of pushing to see if the next thing's going to come yeah. around. And at this point, they were definitely pushing to see it. It's interesting because you could like those that extra five or ten minutes
0: of kind of them melting away. You could view that as like not giving up on the exploration or just kind of being like it's <laughs> lazy or over. just like let's <laughs> just like let these loops kind of phase out and take our time getting into the next thing you know yeah it's yeah. interesting because that i feel like that's the two sides of 2.0 is just like the the decay or or just like all the stuff that was going on and then the like actual Progress they were making musically. Mm. The, the, it's a fine line between the two.
2: Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah so um, some people are going to notice that we didn't go immediately to the 228 tweezer, which a lot of people quite like, and we could probably do a whole show on. But I know RJ, you had some comments about it or some thoughts.
3: Yeah,
0: I mean, we. I like what I like about this clip is like this is not one of the most you know well-known shows of, of 2003 or of that tour, and like 228, I think. Um, the, the the clips that we're highlighting are similar thematically in that it's like there's just a combination of sloppiness and beauty um, <laughs> in all of these. And the, um, the 228, yeah, we can do an entire, we could do like a series on it. You know, it's like it's <laughs> so and not just on the tweezer, but on that entire show. Um, but, you know, our Matt's kind of view on this, which I think is great, was like, let's let's highlight some of these some of these tweezers that we haven't all listened to. Hundred times, yeah. In, in my case, at least, everybody's heard the two twenty-eight.
1: Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. And, and that is another great example. It was tempting to use that one um, because it's, I, I know it like the back of my hand. Yeah. It is very representative of I think you know where their playing was at, mm-hmm. uh, at at that time. Um, so, two thousand three kind of uh, wraps up. We move into two thousand four, and RJ, you, you made a comment a second ago about um, things to come. Yeah, uh, when I. Listen to, I, I, I kind of zeroed in, I said, let's look at just the last 2.0 version, yep. and let's see where that stands, this kind of representation, and I listened to this version that I actually don't know that I'd ever listened to yeah. before, yeah. and it gave me the feeling, the exact feeling that I had uh, when I was at Coventry, <laughs> yeah. um, so why don't, let, let's, let's go ahead and uh, listen to that version, this is from August 11th, 2004, uh, Great Woods, uh, Mansfield, uh, and then we'll come back and talk about it. I'm
2: Okay, so that was uh, the 2004, August 11th, uh, Mansfield, Mass, a.k.a. Great Woods uh, version of Tweezer, and a short one at that. Um, You know, that one's, that one's, uh, it's funny, you talk about uh, the tone, and it reminds you of what was to come, RJ, Mm -hmm. and, you know, certainly there's a lot of, there's actually longer jams, possibly better jams, even at Coventry, Mm -hmm. But in that summer, um, this one is really, like, startlingly short. And yet they do, you know, Trey gets a nice, heavy, dark tone, uh, which is ominous in retrospect, perhaps. And then they they do kind of jam. They even play this extended hold-your-head-up jam where he plays the theme, you know, Mm -hmm. the actual melody theme as opposed to just the little thing they always do yeah. when Fishman runs out from behind
1: the drums. So that, it's interesting that you say that. Cause so so I, I comment on this making bringing back the feelings of being at Coventry and listening to music. And that feeling really was like, I remember standing at Coventry and watching them and of course wanting it to be a great show, not only because it was the last one, because of everything that we'd been through to, to get there and standing in a field of mud. You just wanted them to do something amazing. But I spent so much time just being like, what? There's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah. like, is Trey okay? And the other band members are kind of looking at each other and looking at him, maybe yeah. a little concerned. And so you'd have things like, on paper, they played a, a Hold Your Head Up jam. They played a, you know, 35-minute split open and melt. They did a set that was like four songs and was like an hour and a half long. But then when you actually listen to it, you just hear the tiredness coming through. Yeah. Particularly from Trey, his fingers just sound tired like he's struggling to keep up with the music um and that's it's kind of it's kind of sad for that reason because it's not even like it's a complete train wreck it's like the intentions are there they want it to they want to make it happen yeah but they just they just can't
2: yeah that's a thought that i've had about this this moment in fish was that they were kind of willing to do anything except keep being fish perhaps uh but they the question was really could they right and so they kept trying and they they'd go in almost any direction when they were actually on stage but you know what would come of it was you know it was kind of an open question
0: yeah yeah yeah. i think um franklin does not like good point <laughs> tweezers it's interesting about coventry i mean i'm like permanently scarred by coventry but um it's interesting because i i think it's so glaringly obvious or it was at the time and after the show but For context, like, I think people on the inside or or if you knew people who knew people or whatever, you knew that they were, like, into drugs and whatever, like, everyone else in the scene. But I think we didn't know how serious it was until that weekend, you know? And obviously, once you got there, you were like, whoa. And it was, like, kind of heartbreaking on the spot. I wasn't, like, talking to Trey. You know, I have no idea. Like, I'm sure lots of people knew what was going on, but I didn't. And, like, it's just interesting how, like, that kind of hit us all. Like a ton of bricks, you know, and it was like very suddenly, like, oh god, this is awful yeah, you know? in, in so
2: many ways. Not to dwell on it too yeah. much, but it was a lot less out front, even though mm-hmm. the effects were, uh, you know, detectable. And certainly in retrospect, we can go back and hear things and go, oh well, now we know why. But it, and when you got it, got to Coventry and you watched the video or you were there up close and you listened to the tapes, I mean, there's no there's no ruling it out. The answer is right in front of you. As yeah. What's going on?
1: Yeah, and, and I'll throw something out this out there, and maybe we'll come back to this in, a little bit later in the show. But um, what do you think everybody would think of this era if it weren't for the fact that we have the 3.0 years and you know some great playing in many cases? Would would it be like, well, that was the last time, and you know, kind of hold it in a higher regard? I feel like it's easier now for people to say like, oh, that sucked because it's so much better now.
2: Uh, no, uh, honestly, when in the years where we thought Fish probably was never coming back, or at least it seemed like Fish was never coming back, I definitely was not thinking, well, you know, th- these were the last shows. We must treasure them. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely listening to 95 or 97 or 92 or just something else. Interesting. Um, these, these shows have something, and every now and then I go back, like when somebody says, let's do an episode on, you know, but... Um, the, there's it also conjures a lot of you know negative and not just personal emotions of where I was or how I felt about where they were but you know when I hear it it's it's not always my favorite thing so yeah, yeah. and I think it would have stayed that way
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's I mean not to dwell on it <laughs> <laughs> again too late um, I guess I want to just put a finer point on what I said which is like I think people think about it, especially and I've come to learn that a lot of our Listeners are people who have Come on to fish in the 3.0 era, you know, and and maybe Don't have the same context that that We do, it wasn't that Just that when you stepped in the mud You lost your shoes, or that Like every campsite was Muddy and drenched Or that I ended up sleeping on concrete Or that the music was bad, it was also the emotional Like impact of like, wow, this is Like really seriously Fucked up, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, So anyway (laughs) Which I think makes the the comeback in, in Hampton in 09 and, and onwards just so much more of a... That was a big tension in release over
1: yeah. those yeah. five years of tension, you know? Well, so let's get to the, the sunnier years. Yes, then. let's. Um, <laughs> let's get a stop dwelling. Um, you know, so we, we get not to dwell on Not to dwell on it, but, on <laughs> it, but <laughs> one more thing about the, the darkness. Right. Um So was, we, There was no light. We, <laughs> we get to 3.0, and, and to, to kind of... Um, take a step back for just a second. Um, if we look at Tweezer as a representation over the years of the, um, the trajectory of the band, one of the things that we're going to see here is that, uh, that trajectory actually kind of slows down. There's less progression year after year where we talked about last time, how it's like 94, 95, 96, 97, just a year apart, but it almost sounds like a completely different band each time. You're going to hear a little bit more of a Consistency from year to year here, with little kind of incremental uh, improvements, maybe stylistic, um, you know, parts to the jamming. Um, So it's it things start to turn a little bit here. Not that the music's not great, but that we're not going to see these leaps and bounds changes. I mean, if
2: you were to graph it out, and of course it's ridiculous to graph and and uh, subjective. Thing, but if you were to graph out the theoretical trajectory of the way they jam, the amount of jamming, the quality of the jamming, or whatever nonsense that one would do on the Jay Pritchard scale or whatever, <laughs> uh, it it it's a lot less vertical than it was in the '90s when you look at 3.0. Yeah. But it's still there's there's a rise, um, and uh, you know in 09 when they came back. You know first of all we were just ecstatic to have them back and they played a tweezer at the first shows in hampton and and it had indication of jamming but in retrospect it wasn't much of a jam it was a very you know type one kind of mm-hmm. but it was great i was there i loved it doesn't take away from how amazing it was at the time um and then by summer they were, they were. Well, they were continuing to work hard at it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, at this point in 2009, in particular, I actually think there's a little mini story to tell here mm. with the tweezer, which is why we're going to listen to a couple of different versions from from '09. Um, so you mentioned Jonathan, the Hampton version, which was actually the really the only song that got jammed out at all at yep. Hampton. Um, and so when we came back, there was this very song oriented approach, uh, long sets, long shows, oh but, they were, but they were so playing 28, 30 songs uh, in a show. <laughs> songs. And people started saying, "Where where is the jams? Right. Um, you get to the first week of summer tour, and it was pretty disappointing, I think. You know, not that—I think everybody's excited. A lot of people were seeing their first shows back that week because it was, the, you know, the, the first post-Hampton shows. Um, but it really was with the Camden show, the Sunday of that ended the first week of the tour— um, uh, June 7th, where they kind of broke out in this tweezer and it's very type one. It doesn't go too many places, but I remember this being a distinct moment where everybody kind of exhaled and said, okay, they still have it there. If, if they want to turn it on, it's there to, uh, to use. And I don't know if if you guys had the same feeling at that, at that time.
2: My thought at the time I was at the Camden show, uh, and my thought at the time before that show as we were just speculating before the, even the tour began, was that it was going to take time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fish could spend all could spend a month jamming in a studio, and then maybe they'd be ready after three years off. Maybe they'd be ready to go out on stage and do some deep Type Two jamming. Right. But it's different. They know it. They acknowledge it. And we should all recognize it's different from what they're doing in rehearsal and what they're doing on stage. And even still they all had families and side projects and they were not spending solid months in rehearsal even when they even you know they did before hampton they'd spent a ton of time rehearsing but after that before the summer tour you know they had a rehearsal period but you know they also had their lives yeah so it was going to take time on stage
1: yeah oh i mean geez i saw uh i mean a week before the summer tour started i saw trey play with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. Mm. You know, he had a lot of irons in the fire at that yeah. point. Yeah. He still does, obviously. There's a, a, a nice nice mix. So let's go ahead and listen to that Camden version. This is going to be from June 7th, uh, 2009. Um, listen to a, a very, very raging version of Tweezer. So, uh, I was at that show. Jonathan, I think you were as well? Yeah,
2: yeah. It was fun. Um, like, rock peak jamming is what what we came to call it on the Week for Pog website. But um, but it doesn't always do that. So, you know, it's like 13 minutes, and they're really peaking, and then they draw, they kind of go into, like, the last part of this thing, actually, they got real spacey. It sounds mm-hmm. almost like the intro to a song I heard the ocean sing, you know, yeah. <laughs> feedback-laden laden tray space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then strangely, it just it ended. You know, did, it didn't actually go into anything. It comes to right. a full stop. But right, right. Um, really like this jam, it was significant. And at the time when we were there, we were ecstatic, and um, and it was also just a
1: damn good day. So. Yeah, yeah. I think this was one of those shows that if you think back, when everybody said, oh, okay, now Fish is back, yeah. right? They they did it. They they had this big peaky jam that. <laughs> and made everybody freak out. And they had, throughout the course of the summer, the rest of that first leg of the tour, um, I think they had a handful of jams like this. The Alpine shows I remember mm-hmm. this being pretty good. Where I at least have always felt that this was—if you look at the first one, it's like okay, they can still do a rock and peaky jam. This next tweezer was where I said they can still kind of explore and and very quickly break away from a song structure and communicate on stage to to go to a new place. Um, and that's the the version from um, July 31st at Red Rocks. Um, so let's take a listen to the the Red Rocks
3: version.
2: So that was the 2009 uh, July 31st Red Rocks show. It was one of the in uh, w- one of the what the first truly exploratory jams one that really gets out there and they do they um, first of all I you know it's I don't think it was in the clip we just played but I, I kind Of sounded like a spaceship landed during the mm. Ebenezer section, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, uh, absolutely. But then you know, this one has kind of more what you look for in a tweezer it's got little pockets of you know, exploration to keep just turning down different corners and digging into them and then moving into another one. And uh, it's yeah. a lot of that. And it's it's um, it's not the longest, it's not an epic long version, but it's a nice signpost in the again, you know, they can do this. So they've done the Rock Peaks, now they're doing some exploring, and uh, the future is bright, as
1: we see. Yeah, yeah, and this was, I mean, we could do an entire show on just the second set, from this show, or really the whole show was real it was fantastic. It was it rains and there was a long set break and they came back and played this killer set too.
2: The, the, you know, this, I'm gonna I'm sorry to interrupt you on this, but at the same time you look at this on paper, and I remember at the time there was some consternation about the set list. And again, we could do a whole episode about <laughs> set list construction, yeah. but they did do joy then Tweezer into Number Line and the, and the Fluff Head. And um, some people would see that as just like a drastic up. up, down, up, down, like a, you know, a sawtooth sine wave kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Well, um, one, th- one thing to keep in mind is that Number Line at that point was not Number Line as it is today. <laughs> so I think sure. this was probably only the maybe the fifth or sixth version of it. Right. So it, it hadn't gotten to that like, oh no, here they go again in the second set status. Um, but... Um, and, and then I, I agree with Joy. I think the one modification I would make to this set is to remove Joy, and then it's just a killer end-to-end set. But to, that, the rest of the set aside, in um, this tweezer, which I think is kind of the centerpiece of the entire set, um, you hear them start to go type two there, and what I would describe as kind of an A-B jam, mm-hmm. they establish two very distinct um, segments that they keep going back and forth. One is... Um, kind of that that rockin' groove um, that's much like a tweezer groove. And then the second part is where they kind of fall apart for uh, four bars um, and play kind of glitchier (laughs) stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they keep taking those two sections over four repetitions that they do in in further in each direction. So the rockin' part becomes more and more rockin' and peaky, and the spacey part becomes way spacier right. uh, to the point where you just have Trey doing those growls with his his wah pedal and lots of synths, and then they kind of bring it all back together. And I was very impressed with that at the time. Uh, and I still... This is actually still one of my favorite tweezers uh, of all time for, for that reason.
0: Cool. I just want to say... I just want to add that, you know, I'll say about Joy and... Number line What I've said many times Which is feel bad for you guys That you had to listen to You know Your favorite band Play one, one of the One of the songwriters Favorite songs And that you know Sucks to be in that position But yeah. sometimes you gotta just Gotta just stick it out
2: A lot of people have a lot of Different feelings aren't they?
0: Yeah <laughs> That's not true
2: <laughs> yeah. I love those songs But No it's, no, no it's just, Yeah but it's I was just acknowledging Yeah The conversations that were Had at the time I think yeah. it was '09
0: spec. I think I saw like a, it was like a 20minute number line or something.
1: Was that spec '09? That was I like, want to say Chicago that summer, they jammed yeah. a number line out maybe or maybe I'm thinking of the next year, but there, there was at least one. Yeah. That,
2: well, the, save it for the
0: number line episode, guys.: yes. Yeah, yeah, coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> Actually, this is a good time to mention that a lot of people have said, oh, you should do, take this same approach with other, other great fish songs, and that is being um, taken under consideration.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's a hell of an announcement there. Right? <laughs> I don't want to say like because Matt and I have already talked about a couple of different ones. and I don't want to right, say because then it's like, you want to it?
1: that? when's that coming? Commitment
2: vote. Yeah. yeah. yeah
1: exactly. uh, so 2009, they, they kind of established a base. But then, as I mentioned before, we start to see it a little bit of a slow in the pro- in progression of the band's sound, and I wanted to play um, a, a clip from 2010 here, which I said we'd play a couple bad clips today, and this this might be one of them. What um, this to, podcast is all about. Exactly. We, we brought bad clips, and we're going to tell a story of a few years there where they sort of stalled out in terms of jamming and progression of the sound, maybe spinning the tires a little bit, and so let's listen to what went down at uh, at Telluride, August 9th, uh, 2010, uh, when when they played Tweezer.
2: Franklin bring it out and bring it back from that clip there guys. So um, that was the Telluride 2010 uh, August 9th and you know, less jamming very short. Uh, if you look at the, if you were just to look at the set list or whatever the listing on your, your live fish app or what have you you'd almost think that this clip this was just part of a tweezer fest or something it's only six minutes long, it's barely enough time to get through all the verses um, and yet they, they do kind of Get a little jam, and they managed to to transition quite nicely into boogie on reggae Woman.
1: yeah it's it's a it's a smooth uh, segue. it would probably be better if it had happened about ten minutes later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to complain about anything that weekend because um, it was just such an amazing amazing place an amazing weekend to to experience fish um, but this is pretty representative of what was happening a lot throughout 2010 in particular and into 2011, uh, which was the the ripcord, right? I mean, so you had something starting to cook, and then, you know, I mean, there's really only about maybe a minute of tweezer jamming there, and it, it becomes boogie on Reggae Woman, which is probably, you know, disappointing to a lot of people. But it's,
2: you know, as rip cords go, if we're going to rely on that term, it's, this is a a very, it's not a painful one by any means. Absolutely It's very, it's very smooth. I I think it's worth noting while we're, while we're talking about the the overall trends of less jamming or what have you, um, I went back, because I remembered something else. I, you know, I didn't go to Telluride, but I did go to Meriwether, uh, one of the Meriwether shows that year uh, due to scheduling disasters and, um, and they, they played a tweezer there On 6.26 And I thought it was Well, it was certainly a lot More, you know It was, it was more developed If yeah. you would say it, uh, it, it gets a little more out there And stretches quite a bit longer um, Although that's not necessarily saying much When you're comparing it to six minutes But um, <laughs> uh, so there, Anyways, I think y'all Might want to consider going back And checking that one out just for a little compare and contrast
1: yeah and, and you know not to say that every every single song was you know cut down to this length but there it was a trend that was happening around that time and there was a lot of discussion of, uh, about that as well um rj i don't know if you have any thoughts on that from uh no i you
3: just you uh, look back
1: then yeah, i was just thinking i mean
0: first of all how you know just it's interesting t- 2010 we were still just we're just happy to be there you know or at least i was um it's interesting as we talk through this that the, like the we have our kind of anecdotes about each of those years, you know, 09 through the, the present. But the real, like, the, hist- the the history or the narrative of 3.0 hasn't really been developed yet, you know? I think yep. what you're saying is, right, like, they came back and they were practicing and they had new material, and that was cool. And then they kind of, you know, were just on cruise control for a couple of years, and then for whatever reason, they started kicking it up again. But it's just, that hasn't really been fully explored. There's not a a shared kind of narrative of why or 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 how that evolution happened. Right.
1: Now, um, there was one kind of uh, significant change in the sound or Mm -hmm. one development at least in the band's sound over the course of these three years that I'll I'll probably group together, particularly uh, 2010 and 2011, um, which was the advent of Plinko jamming. Mm. If you remember the Plinko sound, that that was all the rage for a while. And um, this next version that we'll listen to from the end of 2010 uh, at MSG uh, kind of was one of the the first early examples of the the Plinko jam. So let's check that out.
0: So yeah, so that was the Madison Square Garden 12:30, 2010 tweezer. Um, yeah, I think the, this is, for me, when, when listening back to these clips, I was like, oh yeah, okay, now we're getting, now we're back on this. We've been sort of making hand gestures of the, of the evolution of 3.0, but this is where it starts to, I think... Point upward
1: yeah i think this was a good representation of you know like i said a few years um that happened around that time just you know the plinko jam would come up and, and there would be some nice little nuggets of jamming here and there but um it's probably uh you know dick arguably dick's 2012 that things start to turn a corner and we head into the last chapter before we get to that jonathan did you have any other thoughts on the msg version
2: well you know i liked it and um And the plinko jamming, for what it was, uh, was an interesting mode for them to explore. Um, Nice staccato. I don't know, exploration is not the right word, but just kind of uh, farting around with that mode, and they did it a lot, um, for for better or worse. And um, but at the same time, you know, we talked about trajectory here. Um, After this. That summer in eleven, I stopped seeing him for two years because hmm. I was um, not having the fun I wanted with the music. What yeah. kind of fun wasn't that you wanted to have? I don't know exactly, <laughs> but it just wasn't it wasn't hitting the hitting the spot. Yeah. Yeah. and so
1: yeah, um, that's fair.
2: Yeah, so I stepped away, and I wasn't unhappy about it. Yeah. Not especially. I was just like, it's time.
1: Yeah. Now there is one thing, uh, you know, kind of musically that I, I thought was interesting. They they don't really do the the plinko thing exactly the way that they did then uh, anymore. Um, but there's a, there's one thing that's stuck around. You know, that kind of the tonal characteristics of those um, the plinko jams. Obviously, Fishman's got a nice. I don't know if that's a. It's almost like a samba or calypso mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. groove that he's doing. Um, Mike is actually basically the main melodic instrument. Mm. Um, He's kind of playing almost like a Phil Lesh kind Mm -hmm. of thing, just like very, very melodic lines. Um, uh, Page is up on the the clavinet, um, playing uh, high up in the the on, the on the register of the clavinet, very staccato playing. But something that developed around this time, which started to pick up a lot more over the next couple of years, was Trey's use of delay. Mm. Um, because uh, after this, when they were, went to record Fuego, is when he got turned onto the Echo Plex, uh, mm-hmm. and now he, he's replaced that. I think probably because they're pretty finicky on the road, and he uses a, a way huge supopus for this. Um, but that delay, where he'd kind of like, wow, 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 yeah, wow, yeah. like very obvious delays that he used in a very angular way, kind of started around this time in the Plinko Jams, and that's something that you hear him do a lot today when they get into some of these spacier uh, places.
2: But he has developed a nice, you know, a finer control yeah. over it, as will happen if
1: yeah. you, know,
2: you know, keep doing a thing over and over again or. With regularity, you can...
0: Yeah, I thought this was... When you were were talking about Plinko, this was not gratuitous Plinko, you know?
3: Yeah. I thought this jam
0: had a good, like, it was good contextual, but also, like, had some exploratory, a more exploratory nature to it, I guess, than just,
1: like, we're going to do this thing for the next several minutes, and then we're going to do something else. Yeah. So, um, we could jump ahead a couple of years now, I think, to, to 2013, when I... I think everybody would probably agree. 2013, 2014, 2015. Really huge upwards trajectory and and amazing shows in all of those years getting better and better. Um, Let's start out by listening to uh, this clip from um, October 20th, 2013. Before we do,
2: um, had anything happened with Tweezer earlier that
1: year? Uh, Maybe in that summer or anything? Well, I mean, you know, I guess we could mention that there was this one version that they played out in California that probably nobody's heard. I mean, I I it's just not. it's I don't know, it's well, they it, played
2: they played it in a parking lot yeah. Yeah, outside a, a casino. A, it was a parking I'm not even sure they announced
1: the show in and, advance. Yeah. It was like the audience just kept yelling over the jam and uh I don't know. But it, it, seriously, seriously <laughs> with Nassau, I think it yeah. was it was a little bit too obvious to um to to bring Tahoe into the mix here, but um Tahoe is probably kind of the harbinger of what was about mm-hmm. to to happen really Seriously, in 2013. Um, so let's let's listen to that Hampton clip, and then we can talk a little bit about what it was that happened that fall that that was such a huge game changer.
0: I was a tweezer from Hampton, Fall 2013. Um, yeah, it was, I was personally. I did. Mean, you guys both, Jonathan and Matt, were both at the at the show. I was at home with a one month, actually exactly um, a, a month old baby, and I was very feeling very thankful and also sleep deprived. And I just like this watching this webcast the next day. I think I watched the replay because like who stays up past you know 9 p.m. when you have a baby. Um, you guys probably do I don't but anyway (laughs) I watched it the next morning the webcast replay and I was just so emotionally like struck by it because it felt and it still does feel to me like one of the most rare um, of of fish experiences which is the like completely improvisational creation at the moment that you know you just it just doesn't happen very often but that was um, I was I was so taken by it it's one of my favorites ever But I wasn't even
2: there, so I'm sure you
0: guys (laughs) have even more to say about it. Yeah. Well, I.
2: So this I mentioned how I took a hiatus, and um, that summer of 2013, I didn't see any shows. I hadn't seen any shows for two years at that point, and but they were they were playing pretty well. And then when they announced three at Hampton, I said, "Well, it's time to come back," and I did, and I have not regretted it one bit, not because of those shows or any other. Um, and, yeah, this tweezer is great. It gets into the the changing modes and the things that I look for in a tweezer. Um, there's a, you know, wingsuit tease in there. And, you know, at the end of it, it, it could have gone into what's the use. But are you so glad it not, didn't? No, no, that's one <laughs> that's when what see you should happen. Instead of these like yeah. coming from a dead stop a yeah. dead stop, no, that's that's exactly when what see you should happen. But what what happened was even
0: was more yes. of a unique creation than and, going what's use.
2: Which also goes to the um the the point I made at the top of the podcast about other jam vehicles, because right out of this they play a kind of a big golden age. Right. Right. And you know, that's one of the one of the things that kind of takes the the thunder uh, that Tweezer often brings. Mm-hmm. That's one of the songs that's kind of taken that mantle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they, they have a, a larger palette to work from yeah. uh, these days, definitely. Um, so, I, you know, if in terms of looking at the the story of the band, and, and we all agree, and we just had a lot of conversation here uh, while we were listening to the clip about how great Fall 2013 was, and I kept saying at the time when I was at these shows and I saw about uh, half of the tour, um, it felt to me like not just regular type two jamming where they are kind of trying to explore and find ground and just letting the music guide them, but it sounded to me like they were actually trying to compose songs on the spot. And I think this, this tweezer clip that we heard is obviously a case of that. It's so far removed from Tweezer, but it actually sounds like it's something else. It kind of sounds like maybe it's Wingsuit. Oh, there's definitely, um,
2: you know, a bit we were just listening to, uh, you know, you could hear Trey plays the, that intro lick, that do do doo-doo, doo-doo yeah. kind of lick, and I'm, I'm totally off-key when I sing it there, but, um, you know, so while, and they they did this on on this whole tour and a number of songs, uh, was it the Redding Disease and a few others, where people were hearing you know formed songs and some of those I think here uh, you know turned out to have been the the seeds or portions of the wingsuit songs either it's a segment of Fuego or it's wingsuit itself or you know any, no- any number of these other things they were showing up throughout the tour
1: yeah yeah. But even it's beautiful. Stuff that stuff that wasn't I'll give you an example uh, from the first night of that Hampton run the Carini mm-hmm. um, has several distinct sections that oh, sound yeah. like little mini songs yeah. that they're playing and they they actually have their own kind of like development and conclusion and then they go to the to the next section and I kept wondering what was going on and then we found out well they had just spent whatever six weeks together trying to write songs Mm -hmm. together for the first time in the band's history so they not only were warmed up but they were in this mindset of like let's try to create songs and i think that you saw a lot of that on stage throughout the entire tour and all all of the big jams which is you know this is such a a great representation of that that period in time
0: yeah there's uh, sorry i have several thoughts about this just to add one is that like i think this tweezer is more consequential for fish improv than tahoe personally because i think tahoe is like more cycling through different approaches and almost like an attempt to keep it keep it going and then it, it hit a you know beautiful p i mean it's a
2: great piece of improv to that i, I just want to say that our email is h f pod at no <laughs>
0: it's actually not it's so helping good. friendly podcast at gmail.com and rj
1: in particular can be reached yeah
0: exactly well and the other thing just for context of that tour any piece of improv that was played no matter what then it like sent off a fury of speculation which was like oh they must be covering the Allman Brothers yeah. they must be covering. The Reading Disease got a lot yeah, of that. Yeah but like everything was you know and it turns out that in this tour and, and I think in fall 2014 too or summer fall both of these years when they were doing the Thrilling Chilling too right doing working on original music while, while playing or, or just after um, it's interesting it definitely seems to provide a spark which is always good news which is probably part of the reason they keep coming out with new material cuz they're finding that, that that formula works right mm-hmm. and they've i mean they've released so much new material since 2013 it's it's crazy to think about um, I also think that before we listen to this clip Matt said that we we're going to talk about what changed this fall and I think everybody knows that we launched the podcast in June and then by the fall you know it was it was a thing and I think that's what I think that's why this Hampton Tweezer happened. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's because I was there. It's
3: because I was there. Sorry.
2: <laughs> so you could try yeah. to take that. I didn't
0: want to. I buried the land.
2: And I saw half the tour.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's a few explanations. Yeah. It's only one of them's right. Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, 2013, amazing year. Can't say enough about it. Um, 2014, though. I think things actually kept kind of progressing. Now the sound, to me, in, in terms of the jamming, gets back to a little bit more typical Fish Jam. I mm. think I, I think some of that compositional thing that from 2013 starts to dissipate. Instead, they have an album that they're touring behind. This is an album release year if Wago comes out, um, and they're back to playing longer jams um, that are just forward driving. Uh, a great example of that, uh, the third night of Randall's Island, um, you had this long segment of chalk dust torture into light, into tweezer, which I, I always tell people, I, I feel like uh, it wasn't three songs, it was this hour-long improv that had little islands of, of composition to maybe turn them in a, in a different direction. But what, a, what an incredible piece of music is. So uh, let's listen to just a little clip of the, uh, the Randall's Island tweezer. Oh, really, really amazing jam there. Just very, very peaky, uh, as we were talking about while well, the clip played there. Uh, very, very happy kind of peaky, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, if you ever heard the saying, don't miss a Sunday show, this, shows like this, well, and the one that we were just talking about also. Yeah. The Tweezer Fest. Anyway, the Tweezer Fest. But this is like, man, so it's such a great example when they get on a roll on a three-night run and it's just, it's just all flowing. Um. But yeah like tweezer as a song i think I, I go for the bliss the blissy buttery whatever peaks um and i feel like you don't you don't hear them in tweezer as often as you hear them in other
1: jam vehicles but this is a good um example of a really just great peak yeah and i think one of the reasons why um you might feel that way is if you kind of look at some of the older examples of tweezers back in the 90s in particular they I mentioned as we started off here that the song's in A minor and a lot of times I feel like earlier they kind of kept it in the minor key um kept whether it was some of the Mm. funk jams or or different things one of the things that emerged in in, around 2014 it really started to become prevalent was this modulation to major keys Mm -hmm. in the the jams so even a song like Tweezer starts out Uh, And then then they modulate to the major jams, which kind of leads you to those bliss peaks Mm. instead of like Mm -hmm. a kind of nasty driving peak that you might get out of a uh, out of more of a minor jam. Mm. Uh, So, you know, I
2: I like this tweezer and I I enjoy that peak, uh, that high, blissy jam. But I I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for me to point out that what I mentioned at the top of the show, which is that. Other jam vehicles began, had begun, and at this point it's fairly well established Mm -hmm. that to take the role, the traditional role of tweezer. You know, Mm -hmm. we've always had a few, you know, uh, Bowie or what have you, Uh, but now we have, like in this particular show, we have a, what, a 25 minute chalk dust uh, followed by a light, which is not a big version of light, but there are plenty of really big versions of light that go way out. Um, I think we talked earlier about the Charlottesville of is one of the the early ones, and and then uh, and then you have this tweezer. So, well, this is a 16 minute tweezer, and it has beautiful peak jamming. And there's a 25 minute chalk dust right before this, um, and so there's always another. Uh, there's just there's so many other things where they're they're spreading their
0: wings, so to speak. It's interesting on the just on the major key thing. It was almost like Rebo was like the major key jam for a lo- really long time mm-hmm. until like maybe 94. They played a really good David Bowie in 94 where they went to major... That was cool. <laughs> but they're not. it didn't happen that often before that that other songs would go into Well, like hood, a, hood, I think. I hood, was, and hood, and hood.
1: Hood was really the kind of big, yep. lissy major jam. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, they've, they've started to sprinkle that... that Lots of key modulation within the last three or four years has, has happened a lot. And I, I don't know if that's just their taste or a result of a certain way of practicing or something like that, but it definitely seems to be something that's, that's popping up a lot.
0: No, I, I love them, and I, but I think we've had the conversation either on the podcast or talking about recording a podcast. So if we haven't said this before, I would, I'm curious to get your takes on it. It does seem like a, it's a little bit of a crush at times. The bliss, they, like at this point, this Randall,
2: I wouldn't put this in that category. It's a happy place to hang out. Right? Yeah, I mean, and if, they, you know, if they find themselves there, they, they, you know, I, I don't think it's anybody reliable. Right? about it. I mm-hmm. mean, you look at the the Went Gin or mm-hmm. whatever, which you know flies in that area, yeah. and it's. It, Anybody who's going to complain about that can just step out of the room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I mean, you can call it a crutch. Uh, I usually like to refer to those types of things as the bag of tricks. Yeah. Any musicians that improvise, you can be the most kind of out-playing mm-hmm. type of person. At the end of the day, everybody, Miles Davis had a bag of tricks, right? Yeah. It, it changed over the years, but there's certain things that musicians just have in their toolkit or on their palette to use it at various times. I think this is just what's on the table, uh, lately, yeah, so uh, we uh, as we we've done with some of the notable versions, it would be. We would be remiss if we didn't mention what happened uh, a couple of weeks later, which exactly two weeks exactly two weeks later, another yeah. Sunday show. This I feel like this was the summer of of don't miss the Sunday show. Mm-hmm. Like every Sunday was amazing. Um, so just up the road at Merryweather where RJ and I were last night, seeing yeah. a fantastic Ryan Adams oh show. So um, we uh, we saw an amazing Tweezer Fest, and I'll, I'll share briefly. I think I've hinted at this in the on the last um, the last episode. I. Uh, you know, I, I've, as it's probably been established, I, I enjoy Tweezer. I think it's mm-hmm. a cool song. <laughs> and they, uh, I, I made a comment to somebody in the in the parking lot at Meriwether before that show because, I as I recall, I think they were like overdue to play Tweezer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. everybody yeah. was like, "They're playing Tweezer yeah, tonight." Yeah. I, I made a comment to somebody. I was like, "Wait till you hear the Tweezer they play tonight, man. It's going to be amazing." And um, they, so they they come out, they play Tweezer, and I was like, "Oh, all right, here we go. It's on." And they started immediately to go into back on the train. And I got so frustrated that I was... This is where, you know, (laughs) we talk about expectations, right? Don't have expectations. My expectation was I want a huge tweezer tonight. And they immediately start to do what they did with that boogie on clip that we listened to earlier. I think I was probably having flashbacks to Tahoe and being frustrated. Or not Tahoe, but uh, Telluride. Being frustrated there. And so I... Turned to my wife and my friends I said I'm gonna go to the bathroom and get a beer and I'll be back and I started walking down our row and then before I got to the end of the row they started going back into tweezer and I ran right back down the, r- the row with my arms in the air and got back to my seat And I was like I'm not going anywhere yeah. this is amazing <laughs> um that was that was just a, a really
0: really incredible night that's probably the most celebratory set that I've experienced with like a group of people um that I can remember since Maybe since the since Hampton. Um, I My trick is that every, like, third show, I say that to people, like, in the lot, <laughs> in the bathroom, everywhere, like, they're playing Tweezer tonight, and then when it pays off, it's amazing. Like, yeah. January 2nd of 2016, that was, like... Everyone kind of knew, like, it was it was going to happen, and so I just told everyone I could that, that they were going to play Tweezer, and then, like, the four people who remembered were like, oh, shit, you knew. You did. But if you do it, you know, if you do it often enough, it'll, it'll pay off, and then the... You know, eighty percent of the time when they don't play it, nobody really remembers because everyone's saying things they want to hear. So I think people should try that. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good trick. It's a good part of the bag of tricks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we wind up there at then at our, what's going to be our last stop on the bus here, uh, which is 2015. Um, and obviously, I think that's it's pretty well acknowledged by this point that 2015 was really just a high point year in in the band's career in terms of the the level of playing, the jamming. Um, bringing everything that we've talked about about the last few years together, just um, very forward-thinking, compositional thinking, you know, stuff that doesn't necessarily sound like jamming, but it it never gets stale, it never gets stuck in its place. Um, So let's listen to uh, our our last clip of the day here. This is going to be from uh, Blossom, uh, August 7th, 2015. So that is just a, a fantastic version of Tweezer for us to, to end on today. Um, I'll share with you my experience that I had a couple of nights ago. I was working with, put, pulling some of these clips together, and for one reason or another, I wound up listening to the 2003 version that we heard earlier from Bonner Springs, followed immediately by this 2015 version. And I was shocked at how you have a band that is 12 years older And this 2015 version sounded so much more energetic, so much fresher. So they just seemed to be having such a great time on stage. And and, um, it was an amazing contrast to hear because, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, everybody focuses on how much did they jam and I think a lot there's a lot of people that look back on the 2.0 era like we talked about earlier I was like well at least there was these really long jams but when you contrast that the just the playing and the level of energy in uh, in the jam it's uh, it's amazing it's like it's like night and day
2: yeah it's true I mean this thing um I what I described I was listened to it on the way here and I was described it a little bit ago while we were listening to it as when I pulled up I was raging this tweezer in my car, in my truck it was just so it's, it's great, it has a lot of drive it goes into some good sections and it's also another example of you know, where it, there are other big jams right around it um, there's a 14 minute gin and a 15 minute chalk dust that leads into it and the chalk dust itself is a, a, it's terrific um, so that tweezer is definitely the signpost, but there's a lot of other great jamming that goes hand in hand with this from other
1: other vehicles. Mm, yeah, yeah. The other thing I'll say, just in terms of the actual sound of the jams, I actually was surprised. I never thought about 2015 this way before, but I was reminded of 1995 a lot when I listened mm. to this jam, and that extra spark of energy that they'd have to just keep things. Always moving forward, and there's never, there's not many lulls that yeah. happen in the music. Um, they never kind of take a break for a couple minutes to get space here or anything yeah. like that. It just keeps accelerating to to new gears.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. Like great. I, my thinking was like it was just a great psychedelic rock jam, which is always, which is always good. Um, one like just piece of context was the this was I was just looking back at the tour itself, which was which wound through you know the West Coast through the Midwest. Um, and on, you know, East Coast, East Coast to um, to, the, to Alpine and other places. But um, and this was like what a month after Fairly Well, right? Yeah. So Trey was had spent a year, I guess, maybe maybe a year or quite, parts of a yeah. year, like you know, learning, a whole lot of intensive work playing guitar a lot and learning dead songs, and then being energized by being on stage with those guys and doing that. And I think that like it, that's just it's so important for the context of 2015 yeah <laughs> yeah
1: incredible things just got amazing and then um you know you wind up at at magna ball uh with the tweezer there you which i you're lucky you do i i will take to my grave i will defend the fact that that is tweezer into caspian back into tweezer and that is yeah, a tweezer good. jam that totally. peaks so hard I, at the end. I completely agree i i disagree with the the officially documented version um and that's another one that it was very tempting to include that uh, that's another one of my all time favorite jams of any song yeah. just the last five minutes of that I remember standing in that field and just being overwhelmed at how amazing the music was oh my God. the entire ground was shaking from the Mike's Moog Taurus pedals that he was hitting constantly it was just a just a fantastic moment
3: that was a
0: special day yeah um, and everyone should listen to that too yeah um, and we were just during the listening of this as we're wrapping up. We, we didn't include 2016. Everyone's pretty familiar with 2016, um, as we're, we've all been listening to it. Um, interesting that if we were to choose, if we were to choose two, at least two versions. They'd probably be the one at the very beginning of the year at MSG and at the very end of the year at MSG, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Maybe <laughs> the
2: Vegas somewhere.
0: In the Vegas. Vegas is in there
1: as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah those, those just happen. I think everybody should be familiar. And um, if you're not, of course, go go ahead and listen to those. Um, and one thing that I will mention, I, I had held out doing it before. I, I want to try to put together a playlist of all of the, all of the versions of yes. Twisters that we've talked about over the last um, two sessions and, and get that yeah. out to everybody. So if you wanted to, um, obviously we've, I think we've circulated some lists and stuff like that but just want to have an easy access to, to listen to all of them we'll, we'll try to put that together
0: awesome cool and I guess I just want to thank Matt for putting all the hard work in um, and people who like what they hear will we'll be hearing more of Matt I think Matt's going to help us out with some more projects like this and, and other things and we really appreciate all the hard work and, and clear effort that went into this project um, what's What's one of your takeaways from
1: this piece the the second half the key takeaway was what I just mentioned: that um, if you ever feel like this is a band that I think there's a lot of people that are resigned to, like, well, I still like going to fish shows and they do some nice things, but um, it, it ain't what it used to be, or maybe they're losing a, a step or something like that. Go back and do some comparison, um, and I think you'd be surprised at uh, with some of the the peak versions of Tweezer and other songs that they've played in the past couple of years uh, really can stand up there with, um, some of the amazing earlier playing. And, uh, it's, it's a nice way listening to, to lots of different versions over the years to kind of give yourself perspective about, um, how great the band was and still is. That's a great point. Yeah. I was, I think my comment is gonna be <laughs> of what he said.
2: <laughs> um, no, I think, I think that is a really great point, And, um, i I think that overall your your theory holds that you know as fish changes and develops, they drag tweezer along with them and it changes and develops and regresses and uh resurges mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's been a lot of fun going back and looking closely at that path,
1: yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining on the voyage. Thanks to everybody for listening to us talk a lot about tweezer. This is a, hopefully if you've, if you've stuck with us, you've found that, uh, it was a worthwhile listen.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, yeah, we appreciate, appreciate any and all feedback and comments. Um, we do, I, I have a couple of songs in mind that I want to explore like this, and I'm sure we can come up with lots of them over the next, you know, the coming, coming months. Um one thing I wanted to mention just real quick, just back on the, we were talking about the narrative of 3.0 and I wanted to give a shout out to Brian Brinkman who's, um, he he had an idea to, to do a multi-part sort of let's go through 3.0 and really give it its its due attention and he has obviously since launched another podcast called Beyond the Pond which is really good um, and that's taking up some of his time but I, I think we want to get back to that because it's it just, that was one my my big takeaway here. It's easy to contextualize and 2.0 but 3.0 is like it's sort of there's there's some I think there's more exploration needed because we're we're still in the weeds of the day-to-day shows that it's hard to step back and say like what what has this evolution looked like but I think this helped
2: yeah put it in context yeah absolutely the story is still being written yeah shit we're
0: gonna have to wait we're gonna have to wait all right never mind we'll get to that in 2020 2020. (laughs) (laughs) cool well um thanks Matt again for all your hard work um and send us thoughts, feedback, um, podcast at gmail.com. And um, Matt is on Twitter at MDFunk. Um, Jonathan and I are on Twitter at Isha pod and other places. Um, we forgot to um, give a shout-out to Brad, so I'll do that. No, it seems now. like you just remembered it. Yeah, just remembered. Um, and we want, him, we want him to come back.
2: Is Brad come will be back. back. He's uh, West Coasting, and we are doing this kind of in his morning, so... Yep difficult timing. Yep. I'll be back. So thank you all for listening. Bye.
1: Bowie, Dylan, Marley.